Welcome back to See, Hear, Feel. Today, I have the pleasure of having Dr. Yu Su Heng on the podcast. Dr. Yu Su Heng, PhD, is an assistant professor at the University of Virginia McIntyre School of Commerce. She received her PhD in organizational behavior from the University of Washington Foster School of Business. Her research program uncovers ways in which we can humanize the workplace by acknowledging, appreciating, and wherever possible, harnessing employees' full humanity. She has been awarded the William H. Newman All Academy Best Dissertation Award in 2022 and was runner-up for the Organization Science Informs Dissertation Proposal Competition in 2020. Dr. Yusa Hing's popular press writing has been published in the Harvard Business Review as well as the Harvard Business Publishing Education Journal. Her work has also been featured in media outlets such as the New York Times, the Financial Times, and CNBC Make It. Welcome to Yusu. Hey, Christine. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for being here. Do you mind sharing a short personal anecdote about yourself? What I love about doing research is that we get to answer questions that we are fascinated about. I came from this place where I thought self-compassion was super important. And that was what I was really interested in studying when I got into grad school. Kira Shabram, she was the first professor that I worked with on this topic. She's someone who works with animals. She fosters dogs. So she's really excited about compassion. And she was really skeptical about self-compassion. And through that whole experience of us publishing together, we got a better understanding that both of us really value compassion, both to other people and ourselves. Yes. When she first started working on the project with you, she really didn't think that it was a good project. <laughs> um, and that is not the best kind of project in a way that really actually changes our own minds about was, something. Yeah, totally. It was really fun to work on it. We had a lot of debates, constructive ones. We got results to suggest that we were both right, both compassion and self-compassion helps us in different ways. Yeah, because I think she was saying that she didn't think that self-compassion was important. There's the thing about self-compassion where we think of it as like weakness and we might be seen as needy or people think that we're lazy. Skepticism about self-compassion is not just something that Kira has, but a lot of people have. I'm very uncomfortable with being self-compassionate, whereas I'm more comfortable with being compassionate towards other people, helping someone out or lending a helping hand to a friend. Why do you think that is? My guess is the societal thing where we value persevering, doing our best, not giving up. We worry about a backlash when it comes to self-compassion. We worry that our coworkers would judge us or see us as less than or think of us as lazy and so on. Kristen Neff talks about how self-compassion is just this thing that we're so not used to. We just don't know how to do it or we're scared of doing it, both at work and our personal lives. Kira Shabram, myself and a couple of other co-authors, we actually have an ongoing study in a hospital in India where we were interested in looking at how Self-compassion is perceived by other people in the workplace. So if you're self-compassionate at work, then how do people look at you? Are they going to judge you? Are our lay beliefs about self-compassion really true? Our initial findings is that that's not the case. So if you're self-compassionate to yourself, what happens is that people are actually given more, there's this clearance for other people to care for you, right? So when you're kind to yourself, we give people a signal that we're also open to their compassion. We appear to be more receptive to compassion, allowing people to help us. And people are more likely to help us in that way because they get this signal that, hey, we're open to this. And we're also not seen as needy. Contrary to this, another benefit of self-compassion in that people have a clearer understanding of what you want. Because when we're suffering, 
it's not that easy to get a sense of whether we should cross this line to help our coworker. This person might be going through a hard time, but then there is also all of these professional boundaries. When we're self-compassionate, it gives people a, a stronger signal that, hey, we're open to this. Please help me. I would really appreciate your help. Can you define suffering? Suffering is used synonymously with pain. We use this term broadly. Essentially, suffering is things that we're going through that is difficult and hard for us. So this could be work forms of suffering, failing at one's job, failing to get a promotion you really wanted, not meeting a goal, feeling burnt out at work. And then there's also suffering related to personalized grief from losing a loved one, family conflict, parental guilt that we are experiencing from having a hard time managing work and life and so on. Can you talk a little bit about self-compassion versus other compassion and what the difference is? I can first start off with other compassion towards other people because I think it's more intuitive to us. Other compassion is this three-step process of us noticing another person's suffering, empathizing, and then acting in ways to alleviate this person's suffering. So for example, you could see that coworkers is just going through a divorce, having a really hard time, you empathize and you act in ways to alleviate their suffering by listening, giving them a hug and so on. Self-compassion is something we are less comfortable with and we're more awkward about, but it really is compassion that we usually direct outwards, inwards, right? So it's about us giving ourselves that compassion that we so regularly give other people, right? So self-compassion is also this three-step process of us first noticing our own suffering, really mindfully aware that we're going through a hard time, it's very painful. It's about us also understanding this idea of common humanity. So we are going through a hard time, we're dealing with this issue, but everyone else also has these issues that they have to deal with from time to time. The last part of self-compassion is really self-kindness, which is us acting in ways to alleviate our own suffering. Right. So an example could be that, hey, I went to work today and I had a really hard time dealing with a patient and I feel like I didn't do well enough. And self-compassion will mean that, hey, I'm going to acknowledge that I'm having these negative feelings. I'm not going to over-identify with them. I'm going to remind myself that this is not something that only I experience. This is something that everyone else goes through from time to time as well. It's just the nature of the job. And the final step is to really act in ways to alleviate your suffering, pain, guilt, and so on. That could be engaging in a self-care activity that you enjoy. It could be going swimming, gardening, something that fills your cup, right? Yeah. I thought it was interesting because Kira Shauram told me that you've both found that working that muscle of compassion, yeah. it's the same muscle, self-compassion and other compassion. It's the same thing, actually. Being kind to other people seems easier or seems more intuitive just because we have done it more often. Self-compassion is something that's harder for people to do just because it's something that people have not really thought about for a long time. The good thing about these two things, these two different constructs and these two exercises or approaches is that when you try to be better at one, you tend to be better at the other. Maybe it will incentivize people to have self-compassion knowing that will help them be more compassionate to others. When we take the time to notice, to get attuned to other people's feelings and to empathize and to act, we are using the same muscles that we can also use towards ourselves. So that's really just a focus kind of thing. One of the hardest things with other compassion is that noticing component, that first step that you mentioned. Yeah. Sometimes we're too busy to notice, but sometimes we notice, but especially in the workplace setting, but even in home life, depending yeah. on what your home life is like, you're like, I shouldn't pry 
you actually think you might be being unkind rather than compassionate to bring something up that might be sensitive for the other person. Totally. Even when you notice someone's going through a hard time, you might not know what you should do to help. For example, my dissertation was on grief in the workplace. Co-workers who lost loved ones and returned to work, co-workers weren't sure what to do. So sometimes they just didn't do anything because they didn't know what to do. It was awkward. Other times, some co-workers reached out to help, but that was not something they wanted. And then there are also groups of people who lost loved ones, went back to work, and they really wanted other people's support, and they didn't get that. So it's really hard to navigate all these nuances. Everyone's so different. Maybe that's what you were touching on when you are saying before, to have self-compassion, you are better connecting with yourself and understanding your own self and what yeah. you might need. Why is it bad to ignore or hide sort of personal lives or events in the workplace or like in a doctor-patient interaction? I don't think it's bad per se, but it's just a lot of missed opportunities to get to know someone and to connect to someone at a deeper level. For the most part, people want to be compassionate and want to be kind. Some of these people are people that you see for longer hours of time than you see your family. I feel like you're bringing it back to compassion, that people in general want to show compassion and it makes you feel good to show compassion. It probably also makes the person receiving compassion feel good to receive that compassion. One thing about compassion is that it doesn't really have to take a lot of effort. It's like humanizing the workplace. It doesn't have to be a 30-minute session with someone. It could simply be a hug or just being present. And I think the same goes for self-compassion where you don't have to go for a self-compassion, like an eight-week mindfulness course or something like that to be self-compassionate. It could just be like a five-minute mindfulness meditation, just taking the time to pause and to be kind to ourselves and to other people. I wanted to ask you what it means to you to humanize the healthcare workplace. Let's first unpack what humanizing the workplace means, right? So when we think about like in the hospitals, there are doctors, nurses, technicians, janitors, and so on. We see our coworkers on a day-to-day basis and we work with them towards different goals. It makes perfect sense to know our coworkers in terms of their roles or their responsibilities, right? What do you know about these coworkers whom we work with day in, day out? How much do you know about them outside of their work? Most of us we do know some of our coworkers, but at the same time, more often than not, we actually don't know much about them at all. That's a misopportunity to connect at a deeper level, to build positive connections with them. Why do you think we don't? It's just we're too busy. One of the biggest barriers to humanizing the workplace is really hectic, super busy. People are overworked, burnt out. And so the last thing on their minds is to connect at a deeper level with someone else because they're really rushing to finish their work and then get home for other duties that they have. Is there anything we can do about it to be better? I think it's more of a systematic thing first, where if possible, in an ideal situation, there'll be more workers. But at the same time, we know that there's a shortage of healthcare workers. So at the same time, there's a lot of small opportunities to connect one-on-one with coworkers that don't necessarily take a lot of time. A simple check-in, small actions can add up. It doesn't mean that we have to spend 30 minutes chatting with coffee. It could just be a short conversation along the hallway, and that could make a big difference if we keep doing it intentional. Yeah, I read recently an article on micro-connection. Mm-hmm. I think that was the term. Yeah, it's just about being intentional to stop for a moment to think about, hey, how's this person really doing and how can I connect with that person? It goes back to this idea of why we should humanize the workplace if we can. 
because all of these small positive interactions or micro interactions we have with other people give us some insight into who they are as a person and what they might need from us in the long run or when something happens, something bad happens. And that's when we get all of these clues to figure out how we can best help this person as compared to a situation where we know nothing about this person at all, except for the fact that they are going through a hard time and we don't know what we can do to best help them. I think the benefit of self and other compassion is to be aware of our suffering and being able to alleviate it in small ways. We're in a pretty fast-paced society where we're always on the go, what's next kind of mindset. It's easy for us to just not think about suffering or just overlook it until it's too late where things bubble up and it's hard to deal with it at that point. Yeah, I am trying to learn how to better connect in a micro moment. But yeah, it's hard. It is hard. The whole idea is that we don't have enough time. That's this idea of time famine. And so how do we make use of the little amount of time that we have to build these positive connections? Yeah. Okay, cool. Do you have any final thoughts? When I think about humanizing the workplace and think about the pandemic that has just happened, I think one silver lining of the pandemic is that we are more aware and more cognizant about the importance of treating employees and people as humans, which sounds really obvious, but at the same time, we're realizing that during the pandemic, a lot of people, especially healthcare workers, were working in very undesirable conditions. There's a lot of burnout. There was a lot of pain in the room. And the pandemic has helped us realize that employee wellness, employee mental health, these things are undeniably important because of the pandemic and because of this heightened suffering during that time. My sense is that there's a lot of conversations now about humanizing the workplace in ways that I think are very hopeful and promising. There's more conversation about just people as full human beings. On the one hand, the pandemic was horrible, but at the same time, it has opened up these conversations in navigating what the future of work might look like. Thank you so much for being on this. I really appreciate all your insights. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.